Welcome to the Armada Podcast with your host, Kalorn. I hate this food so much. Like, I would be like Michael was. Michael was playing something sort of like this at GSG, and I, I really didn't want to play him. And Fox Omega, absolutely not. No, 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 no. What? I don't get to jump back in here. No, I waited patiently. Okay, for this. fine. No, okay. Here's here's the deal. And Juliet Whiskey. One Buster's Nuggets does not translate the way you think it does. Buster's so Nuggets. <laughs> That does not translate the same way. And now, the Armada Podcast. What is up, all you admirals out there? It is I, Juliet Whiskey, and we are back for another wonderful episode of the Armada Podcast featuring me, myself, Juliet Whiskey, Redacted, and Fox, right hand of God, Omega, with special guest truthiness the patriot well didn't we give you a different nickname last time truthy uh got me man it, i just called you captain, it, so you know it, it's captain something pants that's all i remember that's right captain tight pants i told you that's captain tight pants truthy <laughs> yes you need to add that to your handle anyways what's up gentlemen how's everybody been since last week what have y'all been up to what's the usual hibbity beepity boppity boop no not a whole lot watching the uh watching these polish nationals that we're about to talk our qualifier or whatever we're calling it uh that was i i actually watched uh some of the stream on like double speed and fast forward a little bit during my lunch it was really interesting to watch redacted what you been up to oh i'm just changing Truthy's nickname on the our, uh tts discord oh, to captain type pants <laughs> fantastic and right hand of god have you been striking people with lightning again? Have you played uh, God of War Ragnarok? I, what you been up to? Oh, I haven't played any of the God of War games, although I respect their um, how close they get to the lore, which is kind of cool, as crazy as it is, the games. But uh, no, I've never played it. I mean, is does it involve Norse mythology? Because that stuff is bananas. Yeah. The most I recent one does, right? Norse- yeah, I've learned more about Norse mythology from this game than my years of actually caring about it. Jesus. <laughs> you read Odin's some stuff it's, it's bananas, man. I love it. It's hilarious reading. Some of the stuff they did was just like, what? what? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yep. But, uh, la- last thing we're going to get off topic because we could talk about that all day. Uh, just to piss somebody off in the background, uh, Kratos is, practices gentle parenting. He would never lay a hand on Atreus, and that just makes me laugh because this is a god killer we're talking about here. Anywho, let's get in to the podcast uh, where today we will be talking about the Polish qualif- qualifiers, 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 world, blah, 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 yeah, world qualifiers. World qualifiers, thank you, because yeah, they put walk. What does the I, I believe for? it's it's world world open qualifier or something like that. Okay, that makes more sense now. Hot take thirty. Our thankfulness round table right before Thanksgiving. Remember, folks, punch your pilgrim. And uh, can I? Add, I, I forgot <laughs> that uh, we we forgot to add one thing on here, Fox. What's that? The last chance qualifier. Ooh, oh yeah, they did announce that. That got announced. So why, why don't we? Uh, why don't we uh, dig into that real quick before we dig into the Polish thing as a instead of a interview of of Truthy? 
well, since Redacted brought it up, let's have Redacted take it. All yours, sir. Okay, so uh, the last chance qualifier for Worlds uh, has been announced. Uh, it, it will take place the day before uh, the the Worlds start. Um, so keep in mind that this information is not yet fully like written down, but the plan, from what I understand, is that the last chance qualifier will take place the, the day before Worlds starts. The top four will have an automatic invite to Worlds, and that if there are any additional spots uh, for Worlds, that uh, the people next on that list will fill those slots so that they fill what I assume is going to be somewhere around 100 people in the actual Worlds uh, is what, from what I understand, is the plan. Uh, I also understand that it is that they want would like to do something like two days uh so they'll have a day one of switz and that which will cut to the top 50 a, the, the second day of switch which will cut to a top eight and then a third day uh to determine the winner uh so what do you got whiskey a hundred a hun- a hundred players a hundred yeah, baby that's worlds you- baby what? so what so here, here's the, here's the thing is as, let's assume that someone goes and says, I want to play in the last chance qualifier. They get in the top four, they get into worlds. They play in two day. They pay in two days of, of cut uh, to get to a top eight cut. And then on that, they play a, a third day. So you're playing four days straight of Armada. If you play in the last chance qualifier for a chance to win. It's like and 14, just, 15 games, right? Something like that? Yeah, something. It's going to be something along Ooh. those lines. And it's just like, that's a lot of freaking Armada. Truthy, what do you got? Hey, no, I was just, I didn't hear about the, the round structure, but that's not dissimilar from previous years. Or did they actually announce that it was going to no, be that? that like I said, that's just what, from what I understand, what they would, some people would like to happen. Uh, okay. That is not set in stone. Please don't take it as being set in stone. Please don't say that somebody's, so, uh, that it is official. That is just, from what I understand, they would like to do. Gotcha. I, t- I assume that's Karnak that probably wants to do that, which, I mean, that would be a great structure. I can neither confirm nor deny anything. Because um, last time they did a cut to, it was slightly less than half the field. Uh, I think it was, I want to say, like top 40 or so uh, last time. But then they did a top two cut, and thankfully it was a pretty good cut game. Um but they didn't do that top eight Swiss, which if we can get that for another day. From what I understand, oh, that'd be wonderful. There, from what I understand, there will be no elimination tournament style rounds. Yes. That's I would have actually made that last year. I'm so excited. That's the best way to do it. Yeah, for sure. So there was a lot of excitement from the people that I talked to about the, that heard that. I, again, please, again, this is not official. This is just what people would like to happen from what I understand. But I, when I heard that structure, I thought it was amazing. I, but at the same time I heard that and I thought it was amazing. I was like, crap, if you're in the last chance qualifier, you are basically going to eliminate yourself by playing too much trial by fire. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I think we did this last time. Like I, 
I've already got my qualifier, but I mean, my, my superpower is that I'm always tired. So everyone f- then gets to my level of tired by the end of the tournament and people start being stupid. Oh, I mean, I, I talked about, I don't know if you read uh, what I wrote on, uh, on the blog, can, uh, can't get your ship out truthy, but like day two of golden state games, I was tired and I was getting, and I was coming down with COVID and I, and I don't know how much or a little I had of it at that point. But like after being gone for a home from home for a week, playing in a very, very challenging day one, uh, but day two, I just ran out of gas, man. Like, dude, I and you're not, you weren't playing the the easiest of fleets to play. Like that is a precision. Slo- Sloan is always a precision fleet, but you know that IST Quasar version I, in particular. I, I thought it, I could get away with it because like I had played upwards of 15 20 25 games with that fleet and so i was like oh i i know this well enough that i can get away with it and apparently i was wrong i mean you made the cut i mean half the time that's uh, that's win for me i'll I'll tell you what after doing uh six rounds of dooku heavy squad like oh oh god i'm pretty sure it unlocked a section of my brain because when we did uh, the the casual and I played it uh, again, it felt like nothing. So I've, I have a feeling it's like a habanero to jalapeno type effect where you eat something way spicier and it's like nothing is spicy for the rest of your life, you know? So what I'm hearing is that the three of you are going to be playing in a qualifier while I'm on with whoever is streaming this thing mocking you on camera. Is that about right? It could be right. That could be very right. At least that me. That sounds fantastic. At so so here, here, here's the real problem is that I found out after I got home, after having this whole Golden State Games ordeal, that my wife is going away for a three-week class, leaving me with the kids in the middle of Worlds in March. No! And I'm like, are you effing kidding me? Like, are are you really effing kidding me right now? I, I got COVID for freaking nothing. <laughs> That's a weird way to think about that. <laughs> I got COVID for nothing. Like, yes, of course you did. <laughs> like... What good was COVID? <laughs> I don't understand that. Take the kids with you, bro. There's plenty to do to, in Chicago, man. Oh, yeah. Take the kids with me while I'm playing like four days freaking straight of our mother. Have them swim in the Green River. I mean, you'll be fine. Uh, no, no, don't. Don't don't listen to them. My kid keeps bugging me to come to our and I'm just like, no, you're going to sit there. You're going to be bored within like 10 minutes. You're going to be like, Daddy, can I touch the ship? Don't touch I the brought, fucking ship. I brought, I brought my, my son to a, a night where we were doing Rebellion in the Rim games. And I and I brought an iPad and he was able to watch a show, his shows and it was fine. And he watched the game for, you know, 10, 15 minutes and he enjoyed it. But I mean, he you know he was four at the time. He's six now. And wow, he, you got him to pay attention for 15 minutes at four? I, I, You are a parenting god. <laughs> I mean, he liked the plastic spaceships and he was running around the table. So how much attention that is, I don't know. Uh, it counts. Yeah, close enough. Good enough for government work. But regardless, I think it's very exciting that they are having, actually having a last chance qualifier. I think that that is great. I am, like I said, Please go if you want to go, but be prepared for a very, very long tournament. It'll be a good time, regardless. Uh, worlds, I, I, I love the world's environment every year. It's just, you know, sometimes we all get worked up about balance things and different aspects of the game online, and then everybody just gets there in the same place, and we all start just playing the game we all love, and it just becomes such a fun environment. Yeah, well, uh, after, uh, we'll have a little discussion about what GSG was like in, uh, a little later, Truthy. 
You should have seen that comment in the Discord. Anyways, to, to all my garbage players, if you're going, remember, 14 to 15 rounds. Fly it simple. Make a brick and fly it simple. <laughs> we'll get to that fleet. But anywho, let's go ahead and move on to the next segment, which I totally have lost. Ah, someone save me. God, right hand of God. Fox, help. <laughs> We're moving straight into tournament uh, tournament analysis. So let's go over the the Polish qualifiers happened. This is now two or three weekends ago, I believe. Uh, we finally it happened have, the uh, same weekend as GSG, right? As GSG, so that was two weekends ago, right? Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. We we have the opportunity to to cover that because holy cow, um, absolutely awesome results! The first tournament, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, with the top eight cut, where it was equal representation from all factions. We had two Republic, two Empire, two Rebel, and two Separatists. Which I think is amazing. Uh, the game, which actually, out. if you look at the uh, what was actually qualified, I think there was a third. It was either CIS or Republic, but there was somebody who couldn't do yeah. the day two cut. So it was actually majority Clone Wars, like three just, five to three versus uh, Civil War stuff, which is so cool to see. It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. So. Um, they have the tools, guys. You just got to practice with them and use them. Um, let's jump into bids. Let's get right into this. So these bids we had starting from first down to eighth, 392, 399, 391, 400, 399, 387, 395, 400. Um, this is honestly pretty standard fare. I think we've kind of seen this spread from most top eights this year. Uh, we've got a, a few that are 392, 391, 387, and then a bunch that are that are up there, 399s and 400s. Four of those were either 399 or 400. Um, this is this seems about right. Uh, if you if you had a bid of about five points, which one person did, you're beating half the field in bid, and you're definitely losing bid or losing the bid um, in the other half. That's pretty much what we're seeing. I, I don't think there's much to comment on that. Uh, I guess it is important to note that 387 that's in there, uh, which we won't talk about because this is sixth place, that is a farm hawk. Uh, so kind of nice to see that Europe at least has found a solution to the farm hawk low bid strategy. It, it's a very interesting farm hawked, but I mean, we don't need to talk about it, it uh, uh, in, in any kind of depth, but it, they included Magnites, which I thought was an interesting choice. Yeah, it's a little bit different uh, than than yours, Kalorn. Yeah, it's essentially the heart of it is still that VCX farming. Yeah. Um, let's move straight into deployments. It was from first to eighth, four, seven. Eight, 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 seven, five, and seven. Four. So, Four for the winner. I freaking love it. Bro, this fleet is ridiculous. And the fact that it keeps popping up in Europe is hilarious to me. And dude, just, it's not it's even a, just pop up. It's the same dude. It's the yeah. same dude who just makes this fleet freaking work. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Yeah, it's a testament to how good this fleet is and how good the player is. But we'll, we'll get there. But... I mean, sevens and eights across the board, pretty much. This is where we're at. This is 
amazing. Honestly, this is, you know, I, it, it, I, I think that you're one, one thing that's interesting is like, you know, we're essentially seeing people either going to have, you know, they're taking squads to get them to seven or eight activations. However, squads, many squads that may be, it could be a medium squad ball. May it be a kind of a lighter squad ball. It could be a heavy squad ball, but they're getting squads to seven or eight uh, deployments. And if you're not doing that, if you're going all ships, you're at like four or five, sometimes less. And I think that's the real distinction here is like, you can tell who's taking, who's, investing in squads to get them deploy, uh, deployments and who's not. Exactly. Let's move into, let's see, what do I have here? I'm sorry. Activations. We had, yeah, this is another one that's just across the board. I mean, when you look at these numbers here, I'll go through them real quick and then I'll say my spiel. Uh, four, four, three, 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 five, and three. I mean, at the heart of a lot of these fleets, they, they're almost the same, like eight deployments, three activations. That's the baseline. We're about to get into squad numbers, but we're going to see the exact same thing happen. Like it is, are we arriving? I'm going to say this just to, to initiate an opinion, but are we arriving at a point where if it's, it's seven or eight deployments, three activations, and then 134 in squads. And that's like, that's pinnacle of Armada design right now. Nah, not I don't think so at all. I mean, you, especially when we start getting into the squad numbers, it's half one thirty four and then half something else. And you, when you get to list out the numbers of the top three, I think that'll tell you everything you need to know right there about what's going on in Europe. Um, it, now, I will agree with that. You know, seven and eight deployment, three or four ships. Yep, it's uh, it seems to be pretty standard, but I don't think it's the pinnacle by any stretch of the imagination you can do other things i, I want to talk to ask you a quick question truthy and this is something that's come up with me largely playing three activations fleets for a while now i am starting to realize that three activations is putting you behind the eight ball and that four may be necessary going forward i, I haven't really had that experience but i can't remember the last, uh, i'm trying to think of the last three activation fleet i flew which was a plow fleet. Um, and no, I didn't really feel it. I feel like you can, I don't know. I, I don't really have an issue going three activations. And I, I think it's really more of a, you need to be able to, to tank through it because if you're not, you, and I think guard does it uniquely well. And maybe that's why I felt fine with three activations in that fleet, because they can kind of have some tools that help them tank through that activation disadvantage. Maybe. Where it was really glaring to me is because I was often bidding for first player. And while it, I never really felt like I was at much of a disadvantage on like turn one and two, it was turn three and four where I would often wish, I wish I could go later that I often ran into issues. Yeah. And you're and there's definitely a downside to it because you're, you know, if you're three activations and you're a first player against four, or five, you're not just giving up the last activation. You're giving up the last two activations. Uh, so it can be, it can be rough. You really got to be able to leverage that first player, that first activation, um, which is not easy. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think it's just, it's really coming down to like, I was really trying to play first, play, you know, bid, you know, not bid for first player, but uh, 
you know, actively go for first player. And I was often granted first player by people. Um, and it's in a rough spot right now. Even, even though that was my strategy, it didn't always pan out. Why do you say that? Because the winner here, I believe intentionally took first twice. I, I, like I said, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think that it is in an interesting spot. And, you know, sometimes, you know, that yeah, having, sure. having that fourth activation, like, so for example, at LSO, I, when I, when I won LSO with, um, the a gate Liberty, I had four activations and 134 points of squats. And I will tell you that that felt a heck of a lot better in terms of just like the parafleet aspects of it than flying three and one and and not. And actually, I got to correct myself because I think if I'm remembering his opponents correctly, actually, I think he took had first player against the two folks that outbid. There's only two people that outbid him, and I think he ended up first in both those games. So I, I guess Fox, you played against me with three activations at LSO when I had four. What were your thoughts there? Because I feel like this is going to be the divide in competitive armada now. Is it, you know there, you're you're no, like you can see the trends very clearly. It's three or four activations around seven or eight deployments. You know, and whatever squads it takes to get you to that to between those those together. What what was your thought about facing three versus four? I don't. Uh... This is going to sound weird, but I don't think it's fair to ask me because a lot of what Dooku does is force activation order to a degree. So a lot of the design of my fleet is I'm trying to get you to activate things in strange orders and and lock you in certain ways. Um, also, like Patriot Fist is really good at deleting those little dinky activations. <laughs> like the amount of flotillas that I popped throughout LSO is like the, the, the kill count, the flotilla kill count for my P- Patriot fist was just stupid. Um, but well, you really got to as first player. I feel like you got to pick on those small activations there to make that padding go away. Yeah. Um, so I think that, I think you've kind of leaned into the, how you can leverage that to cause significant problems. Correct. So I, like I Dooku, agree. Just don't fly off the board with your ISD while you're doing it. That's all <laughs> yeah, I have to say. Tends to be a bad idea. So, like, what what Dooku does is he forces you to activate your your flotilla first, right, to pass a token, and since it activated first, it moves into range of Patriot Fist, and now I activate my Patriot Fist and I eliminate your activation advantage. Like that's kind of how it works. Um, but that's kind of where we're at right now. There's tons of long range activations that are doing this, like popping. We've talked about this on the podcast multiple times. There are a lot of fleet designs or ship builds that require you to delete something on the other side pretty much every activation. Like, you've got to get it done to keep that piece alive. Um, That's the reason why I don't think four activations is critical right now. I just think you need three potent ones. Like, I think we're going to start seeing a, a departure from just one large activation and two flotillas. I, I think that's just not going to cut it. I think you'll like the, these Ularan fleets or the Plo fleets with the Venator and two Peltas. That's kind of where it's at because you can't just delete an activation. And we're, we're well, going to get... Yeah, and combined arms, I think, is really where yeah. the game has gotten to is you just need... You can't have... Like, I think one of the... Like, one of the big takeaways I'm seeing from Europe is the just total downfall of German Sloan. Like, it... 
Dennis barely made the cut in Germany, and it is nowhere to be seen in these Polish results. I mean, it may have been just a choice of folks bringing it, but it relied on a kind of a surgical precision of, you know, not losing much of anything and leaning super hard on the squads to carry the load. And, you know, I, I saw Dennis fly this thing. You know, Quasar is in the back pushing squads. Senegor's up front, mainly being a spotter for the Gazanti, the couple Gazantis, basically using old school relay through the Senegor. And then the Raider is out in left field just trying not to die as a flagship. So when it comes to actual ship firepower, that list basically only had Senegor really attempting to get in and fight as a ship. I think the days of that, just you need more firepower in the fight. You can't just lean exclusively on that squad wing to do it. You you need that combined arms warfare that I that I think Kalorn, that Sloan, IST, Quasar coming back is probably more of what would you you would need in this environment. Oh, and and that's exactly what I was going to say when you were talking is like the reason why I played what I played was because you set it up so that you have two enormous activations. You have a very big Quasar activation that is focused on killing squads and you have a very big ISD activation that activates the bombers, uh, Merrick, uh, Jendon and Vader usually and tries to delete shit, uh, delete ships. And it, you know, lots of people were, uh, were surprised that I was playing an ISD instead of, uh, like a, a an onager or something. And I was like, no, you, you have to understand the ISD is tougher. It's much, it's a lot more, diff- more difficult for you to kill it and thus kill Sloan and B you really have to think about what does that ISD do in one activation? You have like, if you can throw you know, four squads, including Merrick, Jendon, and Vader at something, you can often kill two ships in one activation. And I did, I, you know, there were, there were several times at GSG where, uh, you know, against my, in my first game against Corey, before I flew off the bloody board, I killed two of his, uh, I killed two of his CR nineties in one activation with the first activation before he was able to do anything on that turn. And had I not flown off the board, it was a solid win for me. I saw the pictures. You were doomed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. But, but you, you, you <laughs> sorry, might. I had to rib you for for Corey. <laughs> yeah, sure no. I, I, like, like, I, I'm, I'm like Corey flew well. Corey, I'm, and I'm not d- d- dissing Corey at all. But I'm just saying, like, that whole idea of that fleet is to have the that big. I'm going to delete stuff because I can. Yeah, and I remember that fleet during the two-ship era when you had Price. It was just freaking brutal. That ISD activation just just munch you, especially when it's you know, guaranteed last activation with Price, and then they're bidding hard for first, and it's just nom you at the end of it, and then nom you right again at the beginning of the turn. It was freaking brutal. Yeah, and, and you know that aspect has largely gone away, and I was certainly not relying on that in any way. But I mean, you know, even if it even if it's not the thing that goes first, like it's still a huge activation. Well, let's talk about squadron play and specifically squadron presence at this tournament. Um, it's definitely an interesting statistic. 
So oh, yeah. from first to eighth, we have zero, 48, 82, 132, 132, 131, zero, and 134. So the first thing I want to say, uh, yeah, in the middle there where we've got all those eights and three uh, eight deployments and three activations, it's a bunch of 132s. Uh, so a lot of fleets that probably look really, really similar. Uh, but hello, Zero Squads in first place. Absolutely fantastic. I love to see someone figuring it out and getting it done. But I feel like Luminar was built for this. Like, Oh, man, he leaned so hard in. Do we just want to talk about the, the fleets just before we spoil everything? Let's, let's, I guess we, we've started teasing it enough. Let's go ahead and get into it. So... um. Okay, so we have in fourth place, we're going to talk about the top four fleets. We have uh, Bartow, uh, and he is, uh, I, I've got all the insider info on all these guys. So from from someone who lives over there, uh, shout out to Veers. Um, he says Bartow is an exceptional squad player, top four Polish player uh, at the moment. Uh, excellent. Well, obviously he's in the top four, but excellent, excellent play from this guy. Let's dive in. I'm going to grab his fleet right now. So he flew Imperial. He had a, a ISD two with Sloan Nita reserve hangar deck, ECM point defense ion cannons and link turbo laser towers. He had a quasar. Uh, with skilled first officer, flight controllers, boosted comms, reserve hangar deck, and squall. He had a Gazanti with Hondo, commsnet, and reserve hangar deck. And his squad makeup was Jinden, Merrick, Mahler, Howlrunner, four TIE Interceptors, and two TIE Fighters. Um, how do y'all feel about this fleet? Paul, you might recognize this general build. This wait, is- wait, wait, wait. Before y'all jump to that, wait, hold on. Because one of the things that we all agreed on was this was also an opportunity for new people to learn. And one of the things that just hit me is reading this, looking at this, what's the purpose? How is this fleet played? What is your main objectives and goals and thought processes? I, I'm happy to, to to get into that for you, Whiskey, because this is this is essentially it's not a it, um, it's a very close mirror to what I was playing uh, in GSG. You the whole idea is that you maul the enemy person's squads and then you crash into their ships with what uh, with your the the squads once once their squad the squads are dead. Like that's the whole that's the whole idea, uh, and it's it's Sloan, so it's really good at killing your tokens, uh, but I mean, other than that, this, this list, it, the actual technicalities of playing this list become difficult against other squad players who are good. But the way that I played it, and truthy, maybe you have some insight here uh, on the way that Barta plays it, but it, the way that I play it is the turn before I, I intend to jump you with my squads as long as I'm first player, is in the squad player phase, I move my squads up to a point where I can use Squall and my actual native speed to jump into you at the top of the next turn. Yeah, that's that's it right there. Like, Squall is a huge part of this fleet. I mean, it just makes you almost guarantee the alpha unless you got another Squall on the other side of the board because, you know, these interceptors can jump up to effectively speed seven. So, 
good luck hiding from it. And and in in practice, you almost like there's really no way to stop the alpha. So the so you are left with either you have squads that are beefy enough to prevent the alpha, or you have things that are so prickly like, that uh, that they hurt to shoot at. The 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 downside there is he's got enough reserve hangar decks. I was a little surprised he didn't have saber. I, I would have thought that he would have tried to find one point to to upgrade one of those to saber. I don't know what what his thought was there. I guess he was at 400, but you know, I, I don't know that other than that, like that's the only thing my thought process here. I mean, Hull runner, Hull runner and flight controllers. You're looking at six, six blue dice interceptors. It's just brutal. So outside looking in, in this situation, what do you think caused them to land at fourth place? He got Luminard. <laughs> no, actually he, uh, he'd never played him. Um, oh, I, okay. So the fun part about the stream, um, Abe was on the top table all three games. You can watch every single game he played on day two and see how he did it. So I'll explain it. When we, I'll, I'll give you some insights when we get to Abe. But now he never actually ran into Illuminara during day two. And and like I said, you know, truthfully put a, a point on it earlier when we were talking about my performance at GSG. This when you play a list like this, it is very reliant on you being very precise with your squads. And if you screw it up or you're tired and you screw it up some for, because you're tired, it all kind of falls apart. So I will also say like, um, the, the heavier there's a heavier flak presence from the, uh, clone wars factions. And, your margin for error with Sloan three hull generics. No, even if you've got reserve hangar decks, I think the margin of error is just so small now because they can just disappear in a heartbeat. And, so and I ran question. into that problem too. Go so ahead, last Lucy. question. <laughs> last question before we hop on to the next one, which is sorry, Fox, I know I'm running around stealing stuff. So where's the weak point in this fleet? Is it's generic. It's flack. Because you really don't want to shoot at these interceptors. They've got they've got counter two and you're gonna get hurt doing it. Um, or they're gonna have counter three with Hellrunner. Um, so you don't wanna shoot at them, but flak doesn't count. So and, you know, Patrick, we talked about it last week. Patrick's Jaina's light with LTT, you know, he just would delete my three health interceptors with LTT by, by rolling a red and, or rolling a blue and he had Torin to re-roll it. And then he had two, rolled in two blacks. You know, it's very high probability that you're going to get three damage and that's an interceptor or a TIE fighter gone. It, yeah, it's but- also historically a little weak in the Quasar. Um, it's cheap. Um, it wants to, it, it, it's cheap. It's disposable. The IST can take over the squad commands to a degree, but you're still going to lose something. Now, typically if the Quasar goes down on like turn four, that's fine, but if you start, especially if you lose it early, that can really handicap uh, the, these slow fleets. Yeah, and last note on that flak note: there are eight copies of Link Turbo Laser Towers in these all these top eight fleets. So many. So um, these, and it's I'm not even counting the number of ord ord pods. Um, there's just a ton of. Uh, beefy flak shots coming at these uh, three hull squadrons, and it just doesn't. 
it doesn't hold up to continued pressure. You have to trust really the, the, the crux of this, since there's not a lot of bombers, it's really just Merrick and Jindan, right? The whole crux of this list, those interceptors and fighters really have to get done what they need to get done. They need to proc the Sloan, uh, need to proc Sloan as quickly as possible with all these 130s to 134s floating around in this top eight, combined with the flak presence. It, I mean, fourth place is respectable, but those are the exact things you really want to address what's going on in this fleet. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of what's going on. Host notes, just so everybody, new people, old people alike are tracking. This is an analysis. We're not beating up on this guy. He's still got fourth place. So, you know, just saying. But anyway, if I remember, it was like 42, maybe it was 46, but it was a big field. Big field. Yeah. No. And actually, Whiskey, I'm, I'm glad that you're uh, you're prompting us with these questions. These are really good questions to ask. Um, and in no way when you're, when you're kind of, when you're breaking down these fleets like this, this is nothing against Bartow. Like he, like they crushed it, uh, getting fourth place in a tournament this large in a two day event with a top cut. That's crazy good. Uh, so yeah, that's important to establish. Uh, but it's also good to ask these questions, you know? And these are crazy good players. I recognize so many of these names. The pedigree is included. It, yeah. It's nuts. If you ever had a chance to see one of the polls play, um, I, I was lucky enough to, you know, I've caught their streams, but I've also saw them at Worlds last year. They are very, very, very good. Yeah, the pedigree is wild. I, I love covering these Euro tournaments because they're amazing players. Speaking of which, let's move into the next amazing player. Peter Saber. I know how to say this one in English. This is great. Um, so he is uh he's the guy that does the the distribution of the small cards. Uh I don't know if you guys have ever seen those float around, but uh he's been killing it with this double onager fleet for a while. And uh he managed top eight in continentals 2019 so this isn't a recent he's on a recent phenomenon the guy's been uh killing it for a while but his fleet he had an onager star destroyer with ramadi intel officer veteran gunners gunnery chief vernilian xi7 turbo lasers uh, orbital bombardment particle cannons and cataclysm he had an onager test bed with intel Officer, veteran gunners, sensor team, and orbital bombardment particle cannons. He had a Gazanti with Hondo and Comsnet. And for squads, he had nine TIE fighters and Gamma Squadron. <laughs> Gee, I wonder what he's doing with those squadrons. <laughs> I oh, wonder if. I wonder if he's just adding adding a bunch of deployments, you know, for any particular reason, you know, what he's doing. (laughs) That does lead to the immediate question of, well, you're looking at the list. What is he thinking? What is he doing? What's the outside looking in? That is basically making it so that the onagers are not going down until deployment seven and eight, which is huge for their positioning. He he's you know especially if you can drop like he you can see he's at the top of the deployment bracket for the top eights you know he's one of those three eights 
And so Cataclysm goes down on the eighth deployment. It gets its turn one shot that he very much wants. And then it, you know, pressures on immediately. And, and what I actually think is really interesting here um, is that he chose a Onager Star Destroyer as the flagship. He chose that to be Cataclysm to give it the XI-7 turbo lasers and make that first shot not end up getting scattered or or not scattered, but not end up getting redirected or anything like that. You are going to try, like if in my mind, I'm guessing he's trying to find something like a Jaina's light or a, or a C70 or a hard cell or something that he feels like he can delete or very close to delete on turn one. Yep. And it, you'd be surprised. I see. I saw this early on with Canadians um, when the Onager came out. They kind of tended to prefer the the Star Destroyer to get the. Yeah, it's got a little less at you know long range extreme, but ha- you get a little bit closer in. Getting those extra blues in there actually can really help delete that small early on, which is I, I bet what he's going for. I think you're absolutely right there. Yeah, combined with Intel Officer and XI-7s, and then on subsequent turns with, with Vernillion, uh, guaranteeing an accuracy if he needs it or whatever. Yeah, you're yeah. You're, pe- you're peeling tokens off of these smalls and eliminating activations. What we were talking about earlier, like there are a lot of fleets just like this that are designed to delete these small activations early and quickly so that he doesn't mind three activations at all. I think he's going for second, too, Uh Correct. He's at 391. Yeah, and when I saw him play uh, Abe, he de- he went for second. Um, and so, you know, Vernillion is primed with whatever die he needs. So, Fox, you're sitting across the table from this list. You're trying to get above third place. What are you doing? What are you thinking with, your, with one of your fleets? What are you doing? So, okay, if you're going against a high-deployment double onager fleet there it's it's difficult to say because my fleet has eight deployments so i could i could split i could divide and and conquer or at least make him choose and and make it a bad choice but typically you um you're going for the bigger points pinata which is the one that's going down last so if that's the case then you are going that facing against double onager it's weird to say you're not trying to go laterally. You're actually trying to go vertically. Uh, if you go laterally, it's too easy for both of those onagers to to hone in on your location. Whereas if you're speeding up to three or four, prompting, uh, uh, starting with a nav command and basically uh, repair commands is my recommendation. If you have a repair uh, engineering value high enough on your on your ships, to re- you're going to get shot. There's just no way to avoid those shots. Yeah. But but if you're if you're headed straight at them, it's weird to say, you're gonna be able to get to the point where those arcs are squeezed down to where those clicks at the end of your maneuver tool now make a big difference in edging out of those arc ranges. And that's kind of the strategy. You have to you have to just realize, hey, if I don't have the engineering capacity, I'm probably gonna lose a piece. But if I can rush it, because he doesn't have engine techs in here. That's another thing. He doesn't have the capacity, once you get to that point, 
to just blow right by you. So on, a, on an approach where you can turn in to their exit vector, but outside of their arcs, this is getting really into like advanced uh, onager, onager uh, approaches. That's but, the point. Yeah, but that's, that, that's kind of where you're coming from with this, right? Truthy, what do you think? Hey, yeah, you're kind of already hitting on you know, exact, <clears throat> exactly what Abe kind of was able to do against against uh, Peter here. So you got to be able to tank it. You just either have to tank it or make acceptable losses. There's really no subtlety to it. You go right at it, and if you've got the wherewithal to withstand it, then you'll come out on top because they're not going to hold up to to sustain fire. Like neither of these have a Tua, um, you know, and these they're you know, onagers are deceptively fragile despite the high hull and the high front shields. You're kind of a lot like Liberty in that you get around alongside them. They really, they, they crumple pretty quickly. And that's kind of what Abe, or not more than kind of, that's what Abe was able to do. He was able to tank his way in, get stuck in with them, and then grind it out. And he lost his, uh, he lost a Venator and I think a Pelta, but got both of the Onagers just by committing no fear straight in brawling with them. Up and that's all you need to do. Cause once they're dead, he's tabled. Yeah. We, we, we had an episode really early on where we talked about, it was bridging the gap between beginner players and, and experienced players. And one of the concepts we brought up was, um, the three win conditions, blowing up your opponent's ships, keeping yours on the board, and then getting more points. When you go up against double onager, you have to understand they are leaning into a singular win condition. They are trying to blow you up. That's it. So if you can achieve the other two while getting while trying to blow up theirs, if you can keep your pieces on the board long enough by evading those arcs or by repairing the heck out of it, or uh, have uh, an objective where you can score points. I mean, obviously, Peter Saber avoided that by bidding for second player. That's where you got to, you're going to get shot. Like, don't kid yourself and don't get tilted about it. You know, have a plan going into this game of repairing this away. Have a Watt Tambor, have, uh, you know, projection experts, have, I don't know, Luminara, have a bunch of stuff, design your fleet around the idea that, hey, I'm going to get shot. I need to keep my pieces on the board, you know. Um, okay, well, with that, let's move into fleet number two. Uh, and this is Prashemo. They have, uh, well, let me read. Uh, this This person killed it at Hanover as well. Uh, they're, I mean, we're seeing a lot of the same, like Truthy mentioned earlier, this is some high pedigree talent we've got in this top four. So really, really cool to see these guys continue to do so well. He is flying a separatist. So this is a munificent star frigate with Martuk, Rune Hako, thermal shields, point defense ion cannons, and link turbo laser towers. A munificent star frigate with Tikis. Thermal shields and link turbo laser towers, and a recusant light destroyer with Shumai, Vet Gunners, Assault Proton Torpedoes, Swivel Mount Batteries, and Patriot Fist, a Gazanti with TI 99, and six Vultures. 
this fleet, and this, I think this is a lot of what I'm talking about as far as um, keeping your, the strategy to keep your, your ships on the board. These star frigates are built to stay. Like, even though neither of them have Watt, Rune and Tikis allow you to get those engineering tokens. So you get an effective engineering six from both of these. And this Recusant with the speed three, um, it, it's naturally squirrely maneuver chart. It's able to get into uh, into and out of arcs easily. These This is the type of answer that you want for a fleet like that, Whiskey. But, I mean, this is fantastic. Mar- Martuk, like, and honestly, looking at this, the swivel mount batteries is the only thing I'm not a fan of. Um but I know that's a that's a play preference, and a lot of people get a lot of they squeeze a lot of juice out of that, especially with Martuk. But uh, yeah, what do you guys think, Truthy? I mean, dude, this is there's really nothing fancy here. This is you know pretty minimalist upgrades. You know, thermals are God. I feel like they're almost honor kryptonite. Like a lot of times, ECM is the right answer to against a lot of things in the meta, but. Onagers is is not one of them. Uh, Io if you're playing Io Onagers, thermals are just fantastic at neut- at hurting them really well. So he's very efficient on his upgrades. Um, you know, he there's no meat, there's no fat here. He's just nice, lean. You know, got just enough squads to keep himself covered. He's got that TI-99 Gazanti to, you know, make the squad fight just a little bit harder. The LTTs to just nail those extra squads. It's just a really fundamentally sound fleet that I'm that he, I'm guessing, just flies really well. I, I really wanted to, to focus on on the TI-99 Gazanti because, honestly, that this is that is probably my favorite part of this little fleet. You know, we've had you, Fox. You and I have been back and forth about vultures and that they're vulnerable. Are they good? You know, how how good are they? But there's really no way to command those vultures in this fleet. Not at least not all that effectively. But I love that you can just plop them down in the middle of the enemy squads and have Ti ninety nine in range and say, "Go for it." I all I need to do is tie you up for two turns, and if I achieve that, it's worth the forty eight points. So redacted. I do got a question for you. You're sitting across the table staring at this. What are you feeling deep down in your cackles? What, what, what's uh, the process of how are you going to break this fight down for yourself? Well, for me, like, it's, for, for example, if I was playing the, this fleet at GSG with my Sloan fleet, uh, I'm going to look at this as what I need to do is try and delay the ship-to-ship engagement probably until turn three or turn four, preferably, um, and then... On turn two, I'm going to wipe as many of his squads off the board as possible. It's going to cost me a, cost me some, but not as bad as you might think, because I can Saber and Jendon, probably two of them. Um, Mauler is going to get, uh, net me both of those if I don't fully kill them with Saber. And, you know, so I, I, I'm fairly confident that turn two, I'm going to wipe all those vultures off the board. From that point on, it's literally just a, a dice game of can I kill your tokens bef- and kill and and delete and delete activations before I I lose too much, um, and it's it ain't, it's not going to be pretty, uh, but it, there there's certainly it's not something that I would be inordinately afraid of. 
because generally something like this, I'm going to try and approach with the ISD and then go to a higher speed. And once I kill something, I'm going to run away with the ISD. And if you kill my Quasar, you kill my Quasar. Yeah, he's just going to grind and grind. It's such a beefy fleet. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely is. If I'm gonna, if I can take it, it I'm gonna probably grab the, the 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 squads, the Gozanti, and the Recusant, and run, and and probably take a seven is my guess. Maybe a six if I lose too much. Well, with that, let's talk about Abe. Yes. I hate this yeah. so much. Like, I would be like Michael was. Michael was playing something sort of like this at GSG, and I, I really didn't want to play him. And I bet there's a number of people that looked at this fleet that knew that what they were looking at, and were like, "I don't want to play that." It's like trying to. It's trying to hit something with a Nerf bat when you thought you had a, a steel sword. So, so <laughs> what's funny about this fleet is this. In my mind, this is quite an improvement from what he flew at. Um, this is uh, at the Polish Masters, right? Um, so he, he had took it to the German qualifier too, right? He took a Tarkin version and Hanover, and then I his, his Pol- yeah, and then Polish Masters. This was Tarkin before too, but I've Correct. heard that he he kind of hops between the two. Yeah, he he had Tarkin, and there were no uh, reactive gunneries. Well, l- let me read through the fleet, and then um, uh, we'll talk about it. So the the infamous zero squad fleet that took this tournament, uh, this is a Venator one, which whoa, uh, with Luminara expert shield tech, local fire control, intensify firepower, ordnance pods, link turbo laser towers, and tranquility. A Ven two with Intel officer, local fire control, SVAT, thermal shields, ordnance pods, and link turbo laser towers. A Pelta transport with projection experts, munitions, resupply, and reactive gunnery. And then a Pelta transport with projection experts, parts, resupply, and reactive gunnery. And here's the clear evolution I see here is I believe he probably figured out these resupplies are going to do just enough that Tarkin was doing for him, and he could make this fleet just so much nastier for squad-heavy fleets I mean, what do you even attack with expert shield techs and local fire control and ordnance pods and link turbo laser towers all over the place? Like, this is unreal. This whole build is just a juggernaut build. This is, uh, you're going to hit me and I want to keep going. Freaking redacted, what you got? So the, the, the thing about this fleet is that it is absolute hell to face as a squad player. But... At the same time, the things that would do well against this fleet are things that we're not seeing in the meta very much anymore. Like you, you like things like boarding tre- troopers, kuats, or Vader boarding teams, kuats, or things that want to get up close and punch you in the face that we used to see all the time before 1.5, and we don't see at all. And uh, like Armada, Armada has very much moved into a finesse kind of space. And this isn't a finesse fleet. This is a, I want to get in the ring and I'm going to take any punch that you can get and I'm going to counter punch you. And it is awful to face. Like there's no clear answer here because, but the downside is like at the same time, there's, it's really, really hard to get nines and tens, which is, which is why I think this is a fleet that is really awesome in 
in in Europe because we we've talked to the European people. The truth is, you talked about it the last time you were on here. They are going for eights. Nobody's going for nines or tens. And if that's the case, this flight is like this is like the dominant type of uh, way you want to play. But in a, a space where people are going to kind of risk it for the biscuit and go for nines and tens, there will be times that this fleet can't keep up. But at the same time, like you're not going to kill it. You're not going. You're probably not going to get anything uh, more than a five or a six if you face it. It's it's tough. Yeah. So, like I said earlier, I, I took the time to watch the Polish stream that had all three of Abe's day two games, and it was just so interesting to watch. Um, so the two things that stood out to me was his actually three things really. So first being he was absolutely excellent at double arcing. There were so many excellently done double arcs to bring just chip damage after chip damage after chip damage. You know, he did was excellent at leveraging his single uh, single upgrade of Sfats to work on a passing uh, attack. So, you know, the Venators are passed, and oh, now we've got a... Uh, now we got a passing shot on the right that normally would be nothing. Well, now I've got Sfats to just smack him as I'm leaving the, the engagement. Second, he his he has gotten so very obviously familiar with this fleet that his commands are just perfectly picked. He has the nav command timed to exactly when he needs just that little bit more to make sure he's got the double arc. He know he's got it timed well to know exactly when he needs to repair with these vendors. And then third, the peltas are kind of the key to the whole fleet. I fucking hate those peltas so much. They're just look at them and I want to fucking murder whoever set those peltas up because they are awful. Yeah. So it's at the same point, I think they are the weak point in the fleet. Like it's going to be almost impossible to get at them with squads because the Venators are going to cover them. And God, the Flitter Flack is just ridiculous. You know, double OEs, LTT, just, oh God, they're going to flack you to death on your way to the Peltas. But if you can get by them and kind of knock them out, I think Radis is probably pretty well primed to, to deal with this because if you can pick off the Peltas, that's kind of defeating a lot of the tankiness of, of the fleet. And it gets by a lot of the, you know, the only one that's really going to threaten you from the flanks is that fat uh, vendor too. Like the, the Ven one, it's going to look vulnerable and he does a great job of dangling out there as bait, but it's a trap like between tranquility, his ability to mash repair commands and throw projection experts. That's exactly what he did to Peter. Uh, Peter went hard for that Ven one and it took four shots before the damn thing finally went down. Like it didn't die until turn three, despite the fact it had no brace at any point. <laughs> it was still tanking through it. And it was just, it was amazing to watch that happen. Um, and it's not just them dangling along behind the Venators and just, you know, not really contributing to the firepower. Their firepower is very much part of the fight. Like I watched those Peltas be the executioners for a lot of these ships that think they had gotten away. Like both the Onagers in P his fight against Peter died to Peltas. <laughs> so if, truthy, if you watched it, 
So where was the weak point in this? There's always a weak point somewhere. Where was the weak point? He doesn't really have a good plan if someone gets around his flank. He's very good at keeping, you know, front toward the enemy. But that's kind of why I think Radis is kind of well positioned to maybe deal with this fleet. Because if you can get around the side, um, there was always a side that had a Pelta kind of um, offset on the outside flank of a vendor. If you can kind of start there and work your way into the other Pelta, I think that's where its main weakness is. It doesn't really seem to me like a fleet that would handle getting flanked particularly well, which, I mean, it's kind of par for the course for Gar. So what's the final takeaways from the top four list here? Talk to me. For me, it's just like, this is, this is exactly what Truthy said European wise. Like these are very Europe European type lists. I, you know, I think that there's certainly some crossover, um, you know, with what we're seeing here in the U S and, and I certainly, I mean, I, I straight up stole Peter's fleet from Hanover to, you know, to, to play a GC, GSG and to play an Endor. So, I mean, you're certainly seeing people playing some of the same things, but you know, I I also think that you're going to start seeing more people playing these Gar tank fleets because they're just going to be tough to deal with with the current meta and it's going to shift the meta again. I think you're really just seeing an evolution of kind of a tank meta. Like it's something that the Clone War factions always did well, um, but we just never got to a point where we were quite there. Um, and you know this this top fleet is just so punishing to squads and it has to be to survive that european meta with so much sloan everywhere um and you know we we saw riken rogues you know in the hanover qualifier like it is a squad heavy meta i mean especially in europe but largely everywhere and for this fleet to come out on top shows you just how he's been through a crucible and man abe you got the invite. I would love to see you fly this at Gen Con. I think you would wreck a lot of people's days. Uh, and I think it, would. It, just... it, it absolutely <laughs> would wreck a whole bunch of yeah. people's lives. And I, and he he can. The fun part is like he can. He can't just tank. He can dish out the firepower, and it's really deceptive. Because um, you don't usually think of Gar being able to put out a lot of firepower. You usually think, you know, you're the and that's why firepower and those double arcs are so much of his firepower. I watched him melt a Starhawk that had two projection experts peltas behind it. You know, that's that's not a small feat to go through. And he melted that thing, I think, on turn five at the latest. It may have been four. I think it was five. And it it went down. I mean, and I think he traded a vendor for it and got the table. Or no, I didn't get a table. Um, what did he trade for it? I don't think he even traded a vendor for it. I think he just traded a Pelta. Shoot, now I'm losing my mind and forgetting what I watched. But his three games were that tank Starhawk. It was then the number two fleet with uh, with Separatists. And then it was the number three fleet with, with Onager. So he... He not only, you know, did well, he beat the next two people down on the the ranks. Like he he did really, really well. One of the I truthy, I noticed that he had expert shield techs on his flagship there with tranquility. 
how effective was the Lumi EST tranquility combo? Because that looks really nasty to deal with, particularly when it's getting fed shields from the projection experts. I was fast forwarding and playing double time, so I really couldn't tell you the the minutia of that. But I'm guessing it's it's there as the squad deterrent. Like if you're going to come at that thing with your squads, it's not going to be a good day. Uh, and I'm guessing that's really what it's for. And just to add probably that little bit extra mitigation for you know if he's taking big shots, you know it's probably reducing it um, when that uh, when that brace is accuracy. Like okay, fine, I'll be fine with a little bit of reduction and then tranquility is going to disperse a little bit of this. So I, I I imagine it's mainly for squads um, and being able to, you know, squads come at you, you just nullify it and salvo them. And then you, they shoot you again, you refresh the, you you salvo them and you refresh the um, expert shield tax and so on and so forth and just make it really, the whole you can see a whole fleet. His whole fleet is designed to make squad life absolutely positively miserable. So Fox, what's your takeaway from the top four? Um so okay. My big takeaways from the top four. Uh number one, flack is for real. Uh the 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 like I said earlier, the amount of copies of Link Turbo Laser Towers, the the leaning into ordnance pods and even reactive gunnery for flacking. Uh, if if it has to be done, um, is is unreal. And so, having plans around engaging squadrons in bubbles, like in, in the past when like pre pre Intel nerf, uh, this is a long long time ago now. Um, there were so many effect bubbles that you had to keep track of. Really, it was pre it was pre Ace Cap actually, uh, it, where there were just so many effect bubbles that you had to keep track of. Now the big big thing it looks like is flak bubbles we you have to keep track of it and it appears that the clone wars factions have one ups on that uh, the the red flak and the ord the easy ap- application of ord- ordnance pods in uh in the republic it's just really easy um number 2 the the amount of defense token play here there are three copies of intel officer in the top four there's sloan with grievous right behind her and in place five like the the amount of aggressive defense token play is apparent and you having a plan for that can can your ship survive like like truthy was saying about that that game can your ship survive without a brace for an extended period of time um it's i don't know if you need to have a plan for that right now but definitely we're moving in that direction to where man do we even need defensive retrofits anymore it's just it's something to think about um and these high deployments People are coming up with strategies, and their their entire strategy revolves around having a very very high deployment. I mean, Peter Saber's double onager fleet is a perfect example. His fleet is totally reliant on blowing you up. He is going to blow you up, and it really leans into the fact that he can see your entire deployment before he starts putting down his most important pieces. I'm not saying that people need to start developing fleets with eight deployments yet or even nine but i am saying 
practice your deployments and think about how your fleet can be impacted by a fleet that has a much higher deployment than you do. And dude, I will say that is something that very Abe was very clearly very practiced on. He just, he plopped his four ships down and he knew his plan. Every single deployment, dead center, ready to react to whatever side was going to try and take advantage of, of him. So he was clear. I think that's the best takeaway from this is know your weakness, have a plan. And, you know, he's kind of shown the, the polar opposite lessons of what we so often see in Armada. You need high deployments. Well, no, you don't. You need squads. Well, no, you don't. So it's not that you have to, you can ignore those things. You just have to have a plan. You don't have to bring 134 points of squads, but you have to have a plan for squadrons. You don't have to bring eight, nine deployments, but you have to have a plan for what happens when you're out deployed. Excellent point. Geek Geek talked about this when he came on and we did that list building strategies episode where the, the number the number one thing, 80% of the success of these fleets is going to be practice, is going to be understanding your fleet and how it can be applied in a multitude of ways and understanding where your strengths lie. Um, and I've talked about many, many times about Clone Wars factions are waiting for people to put in the time, to put in the practice, to get this stuff, to, to get this stuff under their belt and understand how to leverage the strength of these factions. It's not a coincidence that these two awesome players clearly have put in the time for these fleets and get top two with these Clone Wars factions. It's not a coincidence. From the rookie angle, I think one of the biggest things with Gar specifically is we all know it's tanky. We all see it's tanky. We all get it's tanky. But I think a lot of Gar players lean away from that tankiness because like everybody has said, you see it and you're just like, I don't I don't want to do this anymore. Like I don't want to play against that because it's going to be painful but truth be told really with garfleets you really need to lean in but anyways that wraps up the tournament analysis section now we're going to move into my favorite section of all sections it's hot take 30 where we get random questions from you the audience on discord so do join us on discord if you want to throw a random hot take question at us and we are going to start with Fox, right hand of God, Omega. Fox, always thermaling blacks slash reds because damage ceilings. If you can't see me, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers. It shouldn't be an automatic decision. Is this a hot take? I think this is actually excellent advice, and I don't think enough people talk about this. The using therm, the, so there's an advantage to using your brace early, like before any brace, any uh, accuracies can be applied for sure. Um, the problem is one, you've already spent it, so you can't spend it again, boo. But two, now it's really, really easy for your opponent to target your other defense tokens with the accuracies that pop up in their pools. Um, it's easy to just look at a pool of dice and go, you know what, I'm going to remove all of these potential doubles. Sure, that could really, really hurt. But what would hurt more is if you cannot redirect, honestly. Like, I would rather have to redirect, but I'm taking in six damage than not be able to redirect and take four, if that makes sense. Like, they're, they're, you have to weigh the, the advantages and disadvantages of that dice pool. Now, if they've got an effect that specifically you need to avoid, 
like APTs or something like that. Yeah, like lean into the blacks, lean into the reds, whatever it is. But consider blues. Don't just outright ignore the fact that blues can really ruin your day. Let's gather around the fire, folks, and Papa Keller is going to tell you exactly why Fox Omega is dead wrong here. Armada tokens are very, very good at redistributing damage. What Armada tokens tend not to be good at is negating damage. There are some uh, exceptions, but when you are taking thermals on your ships, the whole point of taking thermals or the whole point of taking ECM in 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 a similar way is to negate damage that doesn't get through to your ship. Yes, there will be times where you may take quote more damage on a, a, a shield zone because they blocked your, uh, your redirect. But if you take four damage and one of them goes to hull versus six damage and you took it all on shields, that's still two less damage that you can play with on your ship at a given time. You can use uh, your engineering tokens to redirect you and things like that, that uh, and move shields around. You need to have a plan but if you're taking thermal thermal shields, in my mind, you have got to negate damage because that's the whole point of the token. Well, that's not that's not the question, though. That's not the question. The question is always do reds or blacks. So you're telling me you're going to double down and it's always going to be the reds or blacks, right? Right? I, I'm saying that if you have blacks, I'm always going to thermal your blacks. Okay. Okay. So, what if uh, let's say let's say with, uh... Look, reds are a different circumstance. the The chances of getting doubles on a red is is <laughs> much less. And at that point, I will very I will think if so, you have if 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 I'm looking at an ISD two for example, an ISD two front arc, I'm in medium range. I'm going to take four reds and four blues. So, say you got a Liberty that's got uh, you know the three reds and four blues. Which ones are you getting rid of? I'm. It, it depends on what the effects are. Ooh, it, oh, no, 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 no. That's not the question. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We're going to do the civil <laughs> work. We're going to do the civil work. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, everybody mute up. Five seconds, five seconds. Everybody mute up. No, whiskey. You, you, hold, I've got to answer this because it depends. To, uh, what kind of liberty are we talking about? Are you talking about a liberty that's hold running on. around with HIEs? Hold on, hold on. If you're running around with HIEs, I'm taking hold away on. the blues, obviously. Wait, 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 wait. Because this, we got... We're in the trap intentionally. I'm just having a little fun with you. We're running a little on time, so look. Okay. All right. Ready? Truthy, you got one minute starting now. Make your point. Already did. Too late, Whiskey. Already did. Paul, one minute starting now. Any points need to be made? No, I, I, I think that you just need to think about damage negation is all. And if damage negation is going to come from taking taking out the, the blues, then take out the blues. If damage negation is going to come out from taking out the blacks, then take out the blacks. But don't take out the blues just because you want to be able to redirect. I think that's silly. Fair enough. All right, we're going to go ahead and move on to the next no, question. absolutely not. No, 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 no. What? I don't get to jump back in here? No, I waited patiently you, you, Okay, for fine, fine, fine. One, minute, one minute starting now. An invalid. No, okay, here's here's the deal. This is, Kellorn's opinion is spoken like someone who's never flown a raider. That's all I got to say. How many raiders die with raiders all the shields, all the, with all the shields, like other than the whole the zone that they were fired at, like how many Raiders die that way because they don't have a redirect redirecting is damage mitigation. It's not just about damage negation. Like that's a ridiculous point. And 
you are a ridiculous non-raider flyer person. Oh, of course they don't fly raiders. They're garbage. That's a different hot take. Whole different hot take. Wait a minute. Somebody write that down. Get on the Discord and write that down. Moving on to the next one. Jesus Christ, this guy, he got hot. Man, I'm sweating over here. Truthy, defensive retro fix are kind of a trap and provide a false sense of confidence. This is just like the, uh, it's just like a too small speedo. What do you think? <laughs> I I kind of agree with the premise of this. Uh, I would extend it to defensive upgrades to include Agate. Because I think the the final part of that is 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 right on point. False sense of confidence. How many times have I seen a freaking Starhawk just blunder straight in, going, "I've got Pedic, I've got freaking Agate, I'll be fine." I mean, I freaking watch it happen with uh with Abe. You know, just the Starhawk comes in straight at two freaking uh vendors and melts. So yeah, I kind of agree with this. I, I, there are a couple caveats that I want to add to this because I actually do agree with this as well. One, I think you absolutely need to include tranquility here because tranquility is it gives a, a lot of false sense of confidence I've seen. Uh, and, oh, yeah. two, and two, chip damage makes defensive retrofits not worth their points. Womp That's womp. It. I mean, EPS yeah, I mean, can help with chip damage. I'm about but to say, early I mean, warning system is a thing. That. Yeah, early warning system is a thing. I would extend this. I, I think there are particular upgrades that give an invincibility syndrome is kind of what I call it. Uh, tranquility, a gate, foresight to a degree. Um, I don't think defensive, retro, defensive retrofits do this necessarily because I think ECM gives you a reasonable amount of safety, like feeling of safety. I don't see anybody just barreling in with ECM, you know, uh, but I do see people barreling in with tranquility or with uh with a gate and all that jazz so um yeah i especially after what i was just talking about with having a plan with no defense tokens um it's definitely possible that we are moving in a in a, in a realm where you could get very very good with no defensive retrofit for sure and that leads to our final question redacted there's only one right answer to this question by the way Redacted. There is no wrong when it comes to food. Look, the only thing that's that can be possibly wrong when it comes to food is if you make somebody else at the table throw up because of something that you ate. If if something that you ate was so disgusting that the that truthy on the other side of the table busts his nuggets all over the the, the table, then that's wrong. Other than that, one you do you, man. Food is food. I love food. One. Buses nuggets does not translate the way you think it does Bus to all parties. Nuggets? <laughs> that does not translate the same way that you I understand what you're saying, but that comes out. Truthy, please do not go busting your nuggets over anybody's table. I appreciate it. Just, just please know. Two, yes, there is oh my god, yes. Yes, there is wrong food. Even at the peeps very- are wrong food. Peeps are oh, an abomination. Oh, Truthy. Truthy. Peeps are awful. Truthy. I will die on this hill. Oh. I can't but I can't I can't abandon you on a hill that goes against the code. That goes against <laughs> the code. 
You put me in a horrible position. Look, personally, I love peeps. Done my job. I, I, I love peeps. Peeps are great. But there is wrong food. It is not a matter of someone else across the table, uh, and I quote, busting their nuggets. It's a matter of it may not be right for you. There are foods out there which, personally, if you put in front of me, I'm just going to say no. And that's, uh, trust me, there's very few and far in between. I have eaten. Everything. So you're saying that you love the monkey brain scene in Indiana Jones? Because I swear <laughs> to God, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I will never watch that movie again because of that food scene and the goddamn bugs. I swear to God, that is the freakiest goddamn Indiana Jones movie because of those two oh, things. Oh, well, here we go. Eating bugs. That's wrong. Okay. I'm just going to stop the recording right here because if we're going to talk about eating bugs, we're done. I'm sorry. We're done. <laughs> See? Wrong food. Wrong food. I, I will bust my nuggets all over the table if you eat please, bugs. That's, that's what I'm saying. Busting nuggets on the table. Somebody <laughs> needs to clean that. For some reason, when you say it, it sounds worse. I don't understand. We've gone so long. Wait, okay, hold up. we got to get Fox's call on this. Fox, what's your call? Of course there's wrong food. Are you kidding me? Uh, I mean, I run restaurants. I've I've seen wrong food in other restaurants, like actual establishments, so... I mean, there's wrong food at Mighty Fine, too, so... There's wrong food. No, there's always Mighty Fine food. That is... I get paid to say that. So, uh... <laughs> Wait, we can check for that? We definitely do not. <laughs> Oh, boo. Boo. <laughs> Anyways, okay, we're going to move on to the next segment. We're going to kind of burn through these last few ones. Uh, the next one is our thankfulness roundtable. Uh, Redacted, we're going to start with you. What are you thankful for this upcoming season? Uh, I, I, I'm thankful for, like, just uh, the way that a, a lot of the community has kind of come around. And, uh, you know, just a lot of the things that people have said about the podcast over the course of the last week, few weeks, um, you know, talking to people while I was at GSG and just the, you know, the, the, the people would say, hey, thanks for making the podcast. We listen all the time. And then just the stuff that Max talked about the, the other day, the fact that, you know, we kind of changed his outlook on, on where our motto was at because of the stuff that we talked about last week. I think that kind of thing really makes it worthwhile to make the podcast every week. Fox, what you got? What are you thankful for? I'm thankful for health. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful that uh, I have, I, I participate in an awesome interest group, uh, a community uh, I'm thankful for you guys. Uh, this has been an awesome experience doing a podcast. I know Paul's done a podcast before, but, um, this has just been an awesome experience for me doing this weekly. And like, like he said, um, just hearing the positive feedback, it's really, really cool to, uh, to hear the, the, the way that we impact people. And it's really humbling, honestly. So I'm super thankful for that. And uh, just the opportunity to get to know a bunch of cool people, you know. Truthy. Captain Tight Pants. Reporting is as ordered. So Paul took a little bit of this, but this community. Um, well, let me start with, I, th I think, you know, the Shatterpoint announcement kind of kind of bummed me out because it just felt like AMG had just sucked the FFG games dry and we're leaving them behind. But at the end of the day, this Armada community has been something so freaking special. I mean, I've been in wargaming for 
most of my adult life, and I've never seen a community like this. You know, you go to these events, it's just a, such a positive atmosphere. Everyone's having so much fun. The community just creates things like this podcast and other podcasts before it, blogs. We've even basically at this point, you have a guy who's pretty much doing prize support for the entire freaking entirety of North America. So, yeah, AMG might be leaving the game for dead. I don't think it even matters. The community is going to do what the community is going to do. Like We'll have an Armada Illuminati to just run everything at some point, I feel like, and just we'll keep it going because this community is just so great to be a part of. To wrap it to wrap it all up and put a nice neat little bow on it, and I know you've heard it three times now, but to really put this in perspective, when I first met Fox and he got me into this game, I was like, "Man, this is pretty cool." Then Fox took me out to a tournament, and I saw it. I understood. I got it. I was like, "Wow, there is a community here. There are people who love." this game there are people who are kind there are people who are courteous there are people who are willing to teach and spend time all over a board game and you don't know how thankful that makes me as a human being as a person that this little game of plastic tabletop (laughs) stuff little spaceships flying across has brought a glimmer of hope back into my own life so i am very thankful for this game. I'm thankful for this community. I'm thankful for my co-hosts. I'm thankful for all of the interviewees that we have had on the show. I'm thankful for you for listening. And I'm thankful. I'm just thankful. But we have to wrap it up tonight. We have to end it all with some bad news. Next week, there will not be a recording. <laughs> We're taking Thanksgiving off. Our wives already threatened all of our lives collectively. It was kind of one You're of those. You're lucky uh, that you even made it tonight. <laughs> yeah, I'm lucky I even made it tonight, and I'm pretty sure I just got yelled at from across the house. <laughs> our wives sat us all down, Illuminati style, and threatened us. So we Go will to sleep not. already. You better be <laughs> careful. Be. She's gonna bust your nuggets, dude. <laughs> wait, I don't wait. Wait. Uh, uh, I don't know if that's a threat at this point. Anywho, thank you all for listening and thank you for coming out to another episode of the Armada Podcast. If you want to check us out, we are on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter. Please join us in the Discord if you want to throw a question at us and also find out why Redacted is Redacted this week. That's all we really got. And remember all you admirals out there, fly safe. Thank you for listening to the Armada Podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with the show on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter at Armada Podcast. Join us on Discord with the link in the show notes. Until next time.